Good morning, church family. Before we begin this morning, being that today is a special day in the life of the church, I wanted to take a moment to wish you all a happy Reformation Day. For it was on this day back in 1517 when a German monk by the name of Martin Luther who, disgusted by the Roman Catholic Church's practice of selling indulgences, nailed his 95 theses to the castle church door in Wittenberg, Germany, in order to spark some kind of debate or dialogue with the Roman Catholic Church concerning these unbiblical practices. However, as many historians have pointed out, Not only did these 95 theses enter Luther into a debate with pretty much the entire Roman Catholic Church, but they were also then, if you will, the matchstick that sparked that of the Protestant Reformation. And thus we celebrate Reformation Day because it commemorates, as Stephen Nichols put it, the church finding its way back to God's Word as the only supreme authority for faith and life and leading the church back to the glorious doctrines of justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. And thus, a very happy Reformation Day to you all, church. As for our sermon this morning, it again comes from the Gospel of Mark, as today we will be looking specifically at Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 39, or where Jesus preaches in Galilee, which is certainly not the first time in this gospel church that we see Jesus Christ teach and or preach. And I say that because if you can remember back to a couple weeks ago, Jesus Christ, when he came to Capernaum, he, verse 21, on the Sabbath, went into the synagogue and there he began to teach. Likely a message, church, that was similar to what we saw Jesus Christ proclaim all the way back in verse 15, that being that the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, and to repent and to believe the gospel. Nevertheless, wedged between Jesus' teaching in verse 21 and the preaching that we will see from him today was a whole lot of healing. For if you can remember, church, Jesus Christ He initially, in verse 26, healed a man with an unclean spirit at the synagogue in Capernaum. And then in verse 31, healed Simon's mother-in-law who was sick with a fever. And then finally, as it says in verse 34, Jesus healed many who were sick and casted out many demons. So yeah, Jesus Christ, after teaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath, pretty much nonstop after that, was healing people, serving people, loving people, and casting out demons left and right, which must have sent the whole city of Capernaum into an absolute tizzy. Because after Jesus Christ healed just one man with an unclean spirit in verse 26, his Fame then, church, was already spreading everywhere throughout all the region of Galilee, verse 28. And thus, after a night where Jesus then healed many more and casted out many demons, well, the excitement then throughout the city of Capernaum likely just absolutely exploded, church, concerning this miracle worker, concerning this man named Jesus 
Christ. Which brings us now to our thesis statement this morning, church, or to the main theme of our sermon this morning, which is this. Christian, follow Jesus Christ for who he is, for he alone is worth it. Christian, follow Jesus Christ for who he is, for he alone is worth it. That's at this time, church, let's open our Bibles up to Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 39. And if you are joining us this morning and do not own a Bible, please know that there is a Bible located in the chair in front of you this morning with your name on it meaning we want you to grab that Bible, to open that Bible, and to turn that Bible to page 837 and to follow along as we hear the Word of God together this morning. For again, church, we are in the Gospel of Mark this morning, looking specifically at chapter 1, verses 35 through 39, where John Mark, he writes, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we praise you this morning. For you and you alone, Father, are holy, holy, holy. And how good it is to come into your presence this morning as the body of Jesus Christ and to worship you, to encourage one each other, each other in the faith, to hear the preaching of your word, to give our offerings to you this morning, to sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs to you and then to come to your table, no longer as your enemy, but now welcomed as your child, and to partake in the Lord's Supper. How good it is to be in the presence of our God on his day, the Lord's day. And Lord, we pray that at this time, you open our eyes and our ears and soften our heart to the word that you have given us this morning. Lord, convict us. Lord, if we are seeking the King of the kingdom of God, Jesus Christ, for any reason other than for who he is, convict us of this this morning. Let us be diligent and quick, Father, as we see Christ going to you consistently in prayer that we ourselves do the same and that we be in all of your grace and your mercy and peace that you provide us. Father, I pray that you send your spirit this morning to help my lisping, stammering tongue, Lord, that I communicate clearly your word to this dear and wonderful flock this morning. 
Lord, that I be confident in this word because it is your word, not man's word, but your word, God. Infallible, inerrant, perfect, and true. And Lord, I pray that through the preaching of your word this morning that you and you alone be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Our first of two points this morning, church, is this. Point number one. If the sinless Son of God sought his heavenly Father in prayer, how much more then should we as Christians do the very same thing in our lives? If the sinless Son of God sought his heavenly Father in prayer, how much more then should we as Christians do the very same thing in our lives? Verse 35 which reads, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. So although John Mark isn't one for tons of details, church, what we do know here at this point in the text is that verse 21, on the Sabbath, Jesus Christ, he had a long day. For not only did Jesus Christ teach on the Sabbath and cleanse a man with an unclean spirit on the Sabbath and heal Simon's mother-in-law on the Sabbath, but he also then, after sundown, verse 34, healed many more who were sick and casted out many demons. Because it was on that evening, church, verse 33, when the whole city of Capernaum gathered at Simon's door with, verse 32, their sick and their demon-possessed friends and family members desiring for Jesus Christ to heal them. And although we have no idea here exactly how late Jesus Christ was up on that night, healing the sick, casting out demons, and serving the least of these, when you consider, church, that the whole city of Capernaum came to him after dark and that Jesus then healed many of them, it seems pretty likely then that Jesus Christ was up pretty late on that night, like really late on that night, like teenager style late on that night. However, unlike a teenager church, Jesus Christ then was still able to get up early the next morning. Sorry, youth group. For as we see in verse 35, Jesus Christ then, he got up early in the morning while it was still dark and went to a desolate place and there he prayed. Meaning that after an exhausting day, church, where I am sure Jesus Christ fell asleep as soon as he got into bed and didn't get the doctor recommended eight hours of sleep needed and likely felt the temptation to sleep in, to stay under those warm covers and to not get out of bed early, Jesus Christ instead decides that even more important than sleeping in here was for him, verse 35, to get up early and to go out and and pray. And not only that, church, but as we also see in verse 35, Jesus decides to go to a desolate place to pray, as in a quiet and peaceful and non-distracting place to pray, or a place away from the hustle and bustle of this world to pray. 
in essence, church, the sinless son of God here, that after a long night of ministry where he was faithfully doing the will of his father, Jesus Christ then still found it necessary to get up early and to go out alone to a secluded and desolate place in order to pray, commune, and to be with his heavenly father without any interruptions so that he could, church, be guided and sustained by his heavenly father as he lived out faithfully here on earth the very will of his heavenly father. And if that is the case, church, that the very son of God prioritized prayer this much in his life, in order to be guided and sustained by his heavenly father as he lived out faithfully the very will of his heavenly father, then how much more then, Christians, should we as depraved sinners prioritize prayer in our lives as well? As opposed to falling into that trap of believing that we as Christians now living in the 21st century are just far too busy to find the time and the space needed in order to pray. For as D.L. Moody wrote, there are many businessmen today who will tell you that they have no time to pray, that their business is just so pressing that they can't even call their families together to pray and to ask God to bless them or that they are just too busy to ask God to keep them and their families from the temptations of the evil one because their business is just so demanding. For when I, as Moody writes, hear that, I am reminded of what an old Methodist pastor once told me. For he said, if you have so much business to attend to that you have no time to pray, then you have much more business on your plate than God intended you to have. For look at Daniel. He had the whole, or nearly the whole, of the king's business to attend to. For he was the prime minister, the secretary of state, and the secretary of the treasury, all in one. For he had to attend to all of his own work, and to give eye to the work of lots and lots of other men as well. And yet he still found time to pray. And not just now and then, and not just once in a while, and not only when he had a few moments to spare, but instead he faithfully prayed three times a day. Brother Christian, Sister Christian, the Bible tells us quite clearly that we are to pray without ceasing, 1 Thessalonians 5, meaning that we as the children of God are to be a people who are steadfast in prayer, constant in prayer, committed to prayer, and absolutely devoted to prayer. However, in all honesty, Christian, does that indeed describe your life here today? Steadfast, constant, committed, and devoted to prayer? Or have you believed the lie that you are just too busy with work to pray, too stretched with all your other duties to pray, too occupied with your children to pray, or too swamped with all the other extracurricular activities in your life to pray? Because here is the reality of all those excuses, church. For as J.C. Ryle wrote, a praying master like Jesus, 
Jesus Christ, he cannot have prayerless servants because the spirit of adoption will always make a man call upon the Lord. Therefore, to be prayerless is to be Christless. To be prayerless is to be godless. To be prayerless is to be on the road that leads to destruction. For the Christian life, church, must, must, must be a praying life, a life that zealously seeks communion with God, a life that eagerly extols adoration toward God, a life that humbly confesses their sins to their God, and a life that confidently brings their requests before God. And thus, if what I just described there is not the current pattern of your life, Christian, then lovingly, let me encourage you this morning and let me lovingly encourage you, ask that you encourage me as well, church. As someone who knows quite well the temptation of prioritizing sleep and rest and lounge time over prayer. As someone who has repeatedly believed the lie that I am just too busy to pray, too swamped to pray, and simply have no time to pray. That we encourage one another as a church body to not be anxious about anything, but in everything through prayer, petition, and with thanksgiving that we as a church body bring our request before God since the scriptures are clear church that when the righteous cry out for help the Lord then he not only hears them but he also then delivers them out of all of their trouble Psalm 34 and thus as the righteous church as the redeemed as those purchased by the precious blood of Jesus Christ let us be diligent then and attentive and persistent in following the example of our Lord Jesus Christ and prioritize prayer in our lives, even when we are busy, even when we are active, even when we are exhausted, and even when we are worn down. For it is in these moments, church, when our Heavenly Father will hear us, sustain us, never fail us, and will supply us with all the grace that we need in order to perfectly and eternally keep us. Therefore, follow faithfully, church, the lead of your Master and Savior, Jesus Christ since a praying master church cannot have prayerless servants. Which brings us to point number two, which is this. Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners from their sins and to heal people spiritually, not simply to be a miracle worker and to heal people physically. Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners from their sins and to heal people spiritually, not simply to be a miracle worker and to heal people physically. Verses 36 through 39, which reads, And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So while Jesus Christ was off praying, in a desolate place all alone early in the morning, it says in verse 36 that Simon and those who were with him searched for him and they found him. Which leads to the question here, for why were Simon and the others searching for Jesus Christ? 
I mean, Jesus Christ is a grown man, is he not? Who absolutely is able to go out alone and to pray all by himself if he so desires. Therefore, why on earth did Simon here and those who were with him need to act like a search party first thing in the morning and go out and locate the exact whereabouts of Jesus Christ? And the answer to that question is, as we see in verse 37, because everyone was looking for him. Meaning what Simon Peter was saying to Jesus Christ here in verse 37 was in essence, man, what on earth are you doing? For the whole city of Capernaum is like going crazy about you right now. I mean, they are literally loving the fact that you can just like heal people on command and they desperately want to see more of it. So get back here, Jesus, and keep doing what you are doing and you are going to be famous. For that is more or less, as Daniel Aiken put it, the tone and the idea of what Simon was getting at here in verse 37. To which Jesus Christ then, he replies back to Simon in verse 38 with this. Let us then go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. Or as Luke puts it, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. For as I mentioned last week, church, Jesus Christ, he did not come into this world simply to get famous or to just capture an audience or to merely heal people physically and to perform some miracles. But instead, as we see from the text today, Jesus Christ, he came into this world to preach and to teach and to proclaim, as Luke put it, the good news as of the kingdom of God. And thus, Jesus Christ here, he simply leaves Capernaum church and verse 39 goes throughout all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons because his mission, his purpose, and his priority here on earth church was not not simply to heal people physically, but instead it was for him to save sinners from their sin and to heal people spiritually, which is above all else, church, mankind's greatest need. However, as Pastor Ed Sensen put it, one of the greatest lies of Satan circulating out there today is that people will only listen to the gospel of Jesus Christ if you offer them something else first. Now, he goes on to share that there is nothing wrong with charitable acts. However, they are never to be confused with the preaching of the gospel. For feeding programs, they can only save a man dying from hunger. And medical aid, they can only prolong a life and fight disease. And housing projects, they can only make this temporary life a little more comfortable. Whereas the gospel of Jesus Christ... That can save a soul from a life of sin and an eternity in hell. Therefore, our concern for the least of these, it is a result of the gospel. And thus must never be, and thus we must never be tempted to put the cart before the horse and to only seek to meet the needs of the people around us, all while neglecting their greatest need, which is for them to be forgiven of their sins and to receive the gift of eternal life. So yes, church, Jesus Christ did indeed heal the sick. 
He casted out demons, and he performed miracle after miracle. However, and please do not be deceived by this this morning, church, because these healings, these exorcisms, these miracles that he performed, they were done, church, in order to confirm to the world who this Jesus Christ was, the veracity of the message that he preached, and to give the world a foretaste of what the eternal kingdom of God would be like. However, they were never meant to supplant, to supersede, or to be elevated over the gospel message that Jesus Christ preached. And thus Jesus Christ here, church, who knew full well how important it was to heal the sick, to cast out demons, and to cure the disease, he still freely and willingly and readily leaves Capernaum here because he, Jesus Christ, came into this world not just to heal one town physically of all their sicknesses and disease, but instead he, Jesus Christ, came into this world to heal the world spiritually and to ultimately save sinners from their sin, which was, is, and forevermore will be on this side of eternity, mankind's greatest need. And I can say that, church, because even those who were healed physically by Jesus Christ in Capernaum, if they failed to repent of their sins and to believe in the gospel of God, they still were condemned to hell forever. And thus, that is why Jesus Christ, church, came into this world to proclaim the gospel to everyone and not simply to heal the disease because it is only through that message church the gospel of God that the world can be saved from their sins and be healed spiritually and thus as we close this morning church I'll begin by addressing the non-christian who was here first a non-Christian, I realize that some of this might sound absolutely crazy to you this morning. This idea that man's greatest need is to be forgiven of their sins and to be healed spiritually, and not that of receiving the food or the medicine or the shelter they need in order to be healed physically. However, non-Christian, if you really think about it, 10,000 years from now, None of our physical needs are going to matter one bit when we have put on a new imperishable body that is fit to be in the presence of our good and glorious God forever. However, that future reality is only possible, non-Christian, if you place your faith in the only one who can truly forgive you of your sins, heal you spiritually, and give you the gift of eternal life. And the only one who can do that for you, non-Christian, his name is Jesus Christ, the one who came into this world as truly God and as truly man to seek and to save the lost. Because you see, non-Christian, quite simply, your sin, it has separated you from God. Therefore, Jesus Christ, he broke into this world, non-Christian, to keep for you the law that you could not keep, to live for you the life that you could not live, meaning non-Christian, Jesus Christ, he lived a perfect and sinless and righteous life here on earth, and he did it in order to fulfill the law of God for the children of God. However, non-Christian, Jesus Christ, he also came into this world to give his life up 
as a ransom for many by paying the price that we as sinners owed for our sins. And thus the sinless Son of God, non-Christian Jesus Christ, he willingly gave himself up for sinful man, and that he was crucified on a cross at Calvary and died a sinner's death in our place and as our very substitute, so that through his wounds, non-Christian, we then as sinners could be healed. And to prove that, non-Christian, the sinless Son of God, Jesus Christ, the one who appeased the wrath of a holy God toward his children, he did not stay dead. But instead, three days later, he, Jesus Christ, he rose from the dead, and he defeated sin, and he destroyed death once and for all, and now offers eternal life to all who place their trust in him. Thus, non-Christian, let today be the day that you turn from your sin. Let today be the day that you repent of your sin, and you place your trust in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone, as the only one who can forgive you of your sin, as the only one who paid the price for your sin, who died for your sin, and can clothe you then in his perfect life and reconcile you back to God forever. For our days on this earth, non-Christian, as the scriptures put it, they are like a breath, and they pass by just like a shadow, whereas eternity, non-Christian, eternity is what lasts forever. Therefore, reject the temporal temptations of this world, non-Christian, and let today be the day that you repent of your sins and place your faith in Jesus Christ so that you can leave here today forgiven of your sins and blessed with the assurance of possessing the gift of eternal life. And to the Christian who is here this morning, brother Christian, sister Christian, as we saw in our text today, the people of Capernaum, who after seeing Jesus Christ heal many and cast out many demons and perform many miracles, they naturally then were excited and wanted to see more miracles, and wanted to receive more and more of the physical and temporal blessings that Jesus Christ could provide. To the point, church, that they were not really interested in going to Jesus Christ simply to hear the message that he had to preach. And it can be so easy for us today, church, some 2,000 years later, to just sit back, point our fingers at them, judge them, look down on them, and say things like, how on earth could these people be so foolish to only go to Jesus Christ for the miracles instead of desiring to go to him and to hear from him the good news of the kingdom of God, to hear from him the only message that can save sinners from their sins. However, Instead of simply looking down upon these individuals in our text this morning, church, I think it would be far more appropriate for us to instead ask ourselves this morning, what exactly is our motivation for seeking after Jesus Christ today? And what I mean by that, Christian, is, do you follow Jesus Christ because of who he is or because you think he might bless you financially? For do you follow Jesus Christ because of his redemptive work on the cross, 
or because you think he might bless you physically. For do you follow Jesus Christ because while you were still dead in your sins, he died for you? Or because you think he might give you that promotion you really want, that raise you really want, or even that lifestyle that you really want? And I ask those questions to you this morning, Christian, because as Paul Washer so accurately put it, if you are following Jesus Christ because you think he's going to give you a better life in the here and now, then that is idolatry. For that is elevating, Christian, the gift over the giver. Therefore, brother Christian, sister Christian, if you get anything out of this sermon this morning, then please, please, please let it be this. For even Christian, if you were to lose everything in this life, and I mean everything, I mean your spouse, I mean your kids, I mean your health, your house, your car, your job, your nice fancy shoes, all the rich food that you eat, and all those brand name clothes on your back. For even if you were to lose all of it, Christian, Jesus Christ and Christ alone would still be worth following. Because the worth of knowing Jesus Christ, Christian, and being forgiven by Jesus Christ, being saved by Jesus Christ, being heirs with Jesus Christ, and being part of the kingdom of God via the blood of Jesus Christ, that surpasses the worth of everything else in this life, Christian. Meaning that even if you were to perish and to leave this world and to lose it all, that if you had Jesus Christ, Christian, then to die would still be to gain. And thus, as the redeemed Christian, as the righteous, as the true children of God, our ultimate treasure then is not to have a perfectly healthy body, nor to have the house we really want, the car we really want, or to have all the valuables that we oh so desire on this side of eternity. But instead, Christian, as Martin Luther penned as his 62nd of 95 theses, the true treasure of the church is that of the most holy gospel of God. Therefore, follow Jesus Christ, Christian, not because you think he might make you rich or give you the job you want, the raise you want, the power, the influence, or the perfect body that you want, but instead follow Jesus Christ simply for who he is, church, your Savior, your King, and your Lord, because to truly know the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ is to simply count everything else on this planet as nothing more than loss, since knowing Jesus Christ in and of itself, Christian, is literally worth everything. Thus it is my prayer that we as a church body do not view Jesus Christ as a means to getting our physical and temporal desires met, but instead that we view the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ simply as our everything. Therefore, let us not fall into the trap, Lord, of only worshiping you when things here on earth are good and then cursing you when we don't get every desire of our flesh. But instead, let us as a church body be willing to say 
that whether you give or whether you take away, still blessed be the name of the Lord. And thus, whatever comes our way in the here and now, Father, help us to remember that 10,000 years from now, because of our faith in Jesus Christ, we will be completely cleansed of our sins, justified, sanctified, and glorified, and have put on a new imperishable body that is fit to be in the presence of our holy God forever and ever. And thus help us, Father, to get to the point of being willing to count everything on this earth as nothing more than loss. And that that be okay because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, the King. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh, that we grasp this morning, today and forevermore, the worth, the surpassing worth of knowing the King Jesus Christ. Father, let us not think for a second that we should run to him because he might give us money or heal our sickness or anything else that is temporal, physical, and present. But the only reason that we run to him is because he is the king of the kingdom of God, the one who came into this world to save sinners from their sins. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Let that be the reason that we pursue Jesus Christ for who he is, our savior, our king, and our Lord. We thank you for this gift, Father, of your Son, and we pray that above all else we seek him above anything that this world has to offer. In Jesus' name, amen.